0: One, two...
1: Welcome to Straight Edge The Podcast. My name is Clive Allwright, and along with my amazing guests and co-hosts, we're going to be having some brutally honest and sometimes confronting conversations around all things of addictive behaviour. Now, as it happens, I've been a hairdresser for 37 years. And during my career, I've met many people just like me that have also struggled in the many different areas of addiction. So our main focus of this podcast is to chat with as many people as possible from the hairdressing, barbering and media industries along with some pretty smart people that work in the fields of addiction to get a deeper understanding of why so many of us struggle with the balance of family, careers, health, and the day-to-day pressures of life. So if this sounds like an area you'd like to dive deeper into, make a cup of tea, sit back, and listen to Straight Edge, the podcast.
0: Always really attracted to black music, moved to London, Rare Groove underground house music parties and, you know, those underground parties, which were really for black people who couldn't get in West End clubs. So people that loved black music, the crazy thing was, I had to take it underground. The, the music culture drove me to the drug culture and I got involved with some very, very shady people along the way. It started off with weed, then it was cocaine. I mean, you know, it was... I thought it was glamorous, I thought it was fun. It was very, very dangerous.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Straight Edge the podcast and as we are marching into 2024, obviously down here in Australia it is the height of summer, the parties are on. There's lots of things going on. Boat parties. If you're into music, I see Norman Jay's coming in in a few weeks' time. It's all, um, it's all kicking off. Uh, but I am joined today in our virtual studio by my hostess, Angel with the Mostest, Amy. You're back with us today. How was camp? How was the camping trip?
2: <laughs> I love it how my <laughs> intros are getting better and better. It's brilliant. Um, oh yeah, camping was a bit mental. Not going. It was great. I mean, yeah. look, the kids love it. But the very last day, decided to get up to like thirty-four degrees at like ten a.m. when I'm yeah. packing the tent down. Yeah, not ideal. Um, got pretty burnt, you know. But yeah, it was it, it was so beautiful it. down there. We had a we had no no arguments. Time, no so yeah. no fights. Yeah. Oh, Would it be a family As, holiday if you didn't yeah. want to kill each other? I mean, I always come think on. if you're going
1: camping, always take a shovel just in case you need to bury someone. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean I mean uh, if exactly. you need to use the bathroom, that's what I mean. You need to take a shovel. Yeah. anyway, um we, are, we I mean this has been a real journey, hasn't it? We've um I'm just having a big breath, right? A big just a moment here just because we've a lot of gratitude because we've had so many amazing people come on the podcast and just before we press record yeah. um, through six degrees of separation through various different channels I've managed to get hold of our next guest who I'm super excited to chat with. Please welcome to the virtual studio today for Straight Edge the podcast the DJ all the way from Brighton UK, Anna C. How are you this morning Anna? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm so happy so to weird. be like, here. We've got so many sort of weird mutual friends and i yeah. understand that you it's i mean so you're in weird. england now but you lived in sydney for a little while is that right 17
0: oh, wow. years and both my kids wow. oh, we've all got Aussie sure passports that, yeah. yeah back in my raving yeah.
1: days in the 90s i'm sure we must have crossed paths many times but yeah uh, <laughs>
0: we probably had to snog <laughs>
1: You, now it's
2: the, all the, ch- coming out. The chances are quite no. high. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now, Anna, it's you know you, you're a DJ, and it's so weird. Uh, like I discovered your play, one of your playlists um, or your sets, I should say, on Mixcloud years ago in the garden. Yeah, it just happened that it came into my feed, and it was so amazing. It was really housey and. Um, and I, and I followed you, and I've been following your your sets because it's really uplifting. It's amazing music. It's it's my kind of. And I see you've got a wall of records behind you right there. Thank um, you. But the reason why I'm so excited to chat to you today is a couple of weeks ago, it just came up on my feed that you are 15 years sober, and uh, you are our first. Congratulations! You are our first. DJ, like full time DJ. Well, there's a lot of hairdressers out there like myself and Nile that think we're DJs, but you know, we're just sort of bedroom DJs, really. Um, no, actually, Nile's not. Yeah. I shouldn't say that he's listening to this. Nile's a lot better DJ than I am. Um, anyway, uh, now I know it, to get 15 years sober, it must have started off somewhere that was a very different place, right? Obviously, because you know, with the, with the 90s or the 80s and bits and pieces. Give us a little bit of story about what was it like? How did it all work?
0: Yeah. Begin? Okay. So, um... I had one of those beautiful childhoods where I had this this loving mother who was like an inspiration to me as a mother, who um, really believed in forgiveness. I was strict Catholics, but I didn't have the old, um, the devil's going to take you to hell if you do anything wrong. I had the old Jesus loves all the little children type of upbringing. And I had a really strong faith as a kid. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for a safer, more nurturing upbringing. But my anxiety always was through the roof. Like, I had such low self-esteem. I was just really awkward is the way. I was always the tall, skinny kid. The boobs grew really early. You know, I just never felt comfortable in my own skin as many of us addicts and alcoholics are that way and at school I was just always the kid on the outside I just never ever felt like I fitted in although speaking to people I went to school with they all thought I did so Mm. it's all an inside job and then you know around went to art college discovered drugs discovered alcohol cider in the field with my mates (laughs) <laughs> Eight of us in a full of me in the boot <laughs> on acid, like, no, yeah. very little studying and painting and lots and lots of partying. And then a spotty Essex girl gets to go to the gold mine, um, purely because that's where all my mates went. And that's when I discovered... The music that has inspired me for my whole life which is mm. soulful music mm. so this underage kid, spotty kid with no business being there whatsoever has been educated on donald birds people like that i'm going to george benson concerts so i'm going to anita baker concerts so i'm learning about womack, womack re- records from america that are not in the mainstream and it was just literally situational i was just lucky to live in Essex, lucky to discover the gold mine. Chris Hill educated me on, you know, such an underrated DJ. His selection was incredible. And people that went there just followed him religiously. I learned about jazz. I learned about jazz funk. Then we had the whole um, British, Brit funk movement, Light of the World. We went to see them. You know, I was just so blessed to be in the right mm. place at the right time. Mm. And uh, along with that went a lot of speed, this is pre cocaine days. This is a lot of speed, a lot of blues, then sulphate, a lot of drinking. I mean, I can remember me and my mates going around the club drinking all the drinks at the end, like mm. all the rotten old drinks with Ooh. the bad butts in them, like oh, gosh. really minging, proper minging stuff, <laughs> binge, drink, binge drinking at its worst, Essex girl style. Wow. And you know, that's how it started. And then um, through, I was always really attracted to black music, moved to London. Rare groove underground house music parties followed all the sound systems, mystery, touch of class, um, funkadelic. That's where Norman Jay started, you know, talking about Norman Jay earlier. And, you know, those underground parties, which were really for black people who couldn't get in West End clubs. Because back in the day, even though there's black men on the door, they ain't letting no black Mm. faces in the clubs. So people that love black music, the crazy thing was, had to take it underground. Mm. There was a few people could get past the door, but mainly, but I was always attracted to the underground, to the underbelly. And if I'm honest, there was a lot of naughty people went to those parties. And that was, you know, my the music culture drove me to the drug culture. And I got involved with some very, very shady people along the way. And I've got to say, I never really had a proper job. It was all drugs. It was, we started off with weed, then it was cocaine. I mean, you know, it was, I thought it was glamorous. I thought it was fun. It was very, very dangerous. And it's only by the grace of God that I didn't end up getting a very long stretch in prison. But, you know, back then I was into the music in a really, really big way. But I was less... I was more—I was very, very unlikely to be able to do anything with DJing. I'd, be, I'd go back home and we'd put on vinyl records, but they'd end up, you know, Jack Daniels all over the floor, treading on the records, messy, messy, messy. There was absolutely no way yeah. that I could have done anything like that. I know a lot of people did, but not me. But I loved the music, and then Acid House landed, and you know that was a whole other level. I, I was lucky enough to be in Ibiza in. Was it 88 or 87? I can't remember. And I had an argument with my boyfriend and some uh, Italian boys took me on the back of a motorbike to Amnesia. It was pouring with rain. I couldn't understand a word they said. They couldn't understand a word I said. They gave me a load of ecstasy. We're dancing in the rain with a whole load of new people. And I'm like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? Then when I got back to England, a few of my friends had been involved in that scene as well and started telling me about a club called... um, Future, which was in the back of uh, Heaven, so I trotted along to that, saw a few people that I'd seen at Ibiza, got involved with that scene, then there was Land of Oz and and Spectrum on a Monday then Shun kicked off and then all those London underground clubs all started up, but the reality was because of my drug taking and because the fact that I was always attracted to the underbelly, and also if I'm honest I like a multiracial dance floor I ended up at Clink Street which was actually, looking back, the most, probably, for house music, the most authentic of the clubs. Because a lot of pop music got mm. played back then. Let's not forget, Alfredo used to drop U2. He used to drop um, uh, Cindy Lauper. You know, it was a lot, the Wooden Tops. No yeah. one can call that house music. But Clink Street, Mr C and uh, Fingers and that, they were playing the proper house music, you know, and that was my favourite. I went to all of them, but that was my absolute favourite. And my drug taking with that back then was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. We had a great, great time and it, we just felt like we were really creating something special. Also, ecstasy was legal. So we just thought like ecstasy was the answer to everything. We had no idea that it was a dangerous drug. And you know what mm. it's like. No one tells you. I I took crack cocaine without knowing what it was. I when I told my friends I said oh because it was called freebase in there, and then I'm like oh I smoked cocaine on a pipe and all my mates went that sounds great I'd love to try that. No, we had no education. As a mum, I've really tried to educate my kids to make educated choices because I honestly believe that I was looked after because mm-hmm. I should be dead. Really, some of the stupid things I did, both with around drink and drugs, but situations I put myself in, sexual situations, drug deals, you know, I I remember having seizures and not knowing what they were either. I mean, I was a ticking time bomb, really. Mm. And then the acid house scene was just so much fun and we were so bonded. But then what happened was the cocaine crept back in and, you know, it took it to a really dark place. HIV and AIDS were rife. People we knew on the dance floor were dying. People we knew that were alive but were caning it and didn't want to be in reality. It was dark. It was very bitchy, very clicky. A couple of people died. And then my partner, who was a drug dealer, of course, and, and a lovely, lovely boy, had a, a, a proper job as well in the theatre. We had an argument. We'd been together about five, six months. It wasn't that serious. We were more party pals and anything. We split up. He went on a big bender with all my mates, actually. And then uh, just thought it was a good idea in the freezing cold British weather to jump in the swimming pool. And he ended up dead of a massive... He'd been on a three-day bender. He ended up dead of a massive heart attack. Wow. And that was it, you know. And wow. uh, I know. And uh, I ended up at the funeral just like... It was like a wake-up call. It was one of them, I really believe... It was, we talk talk about good jobs in recovery. I believe it was God giving me a massive nudge and saying, Anna, come on, you know. Mm. So I, um, I was at the funeral and his mates were doing coke off the bar, telling me that it was my fault he was dead because I finished with him. This is the madness of the drugs. So I, I had a friend that was in Australia and she said, Anna, come out here, come just get away from it all. So I went out to Australia thinking I'm going away. I said, I remember saying, where is the cocaine, the most expensive or the most shit in the whole world? And they said Australia. And I went, right, that's where I'm going. Because I thought I was a cokehead. I thought I was a cocaine addict. I got to Australia, put down the cocaine and then realised I was a raving alcoholic. You know, they call it in recovery, swapping the bitch for the witch or the other way around. And that's exactly Mm. what I did. Mm. And then without going into any great detail, I proceeded on my alcoholic career And I tried everything. I had a couple of babies. I got married. I thought that would fix me. I thought I'll retrain. I'll get a proper job, which I did. I I cleaned my act up as far as all the drug dealing was going, although people around me didn't. But that's another story. Um, And I retrained as a travel agent. I got involved in the travel industry and I did really well because where I'd been a drug dealer... I was a really good salesperson, so yeah. I did really well. <laughs> Plus, I've been on a lot of a lot of dodgy holidays, so I was really good in travel, and I, and I loved it. And I had my kids while I was in travel, and then I worked my way up and ended up working for a big hotel group. Started travelling the world, and they didn't care that I was an alcoholic because. And I ended up being a little bit of a corporate thief. I'd be going around nicking all the accounts, and I had no moral. Uh, compass whatsoever I'd do anything to to get the deal and they loved that they didn't care that I stunk of red wine they didn't care mm-hmm. and eventually mm-hmm. I got I had to get sober some I, I was a functioning alcoholic for a long time but what happened to me around my family my two children was something so awful that I couldn't be in reality at all so I was on drug I was doing valium I was drinking around the clock. I couldn't work. Mm. I couldn't be a proper mother. And I came yeah. to a crossroads. i have been dabbled with recovery, by the way. I hadn't mentioned that for nearly eight years, in and out, but never took it seriously. Mm. I treated it like a mini rehab. And I got mm. to the point where I had that, these weren't my choices. Kill myself. And I couldn't do that because I'd give it, my kids back to the family that are caused a problem. Or I could carry on drinking and doing drugs. And my uh, Valium by then, not so not much the sniff, And social services would take my children and give them back to that family, or I could go back to recovery. And I knew that when I went back that time, I had to do it their way and not my way. And I surrendered a hundred percent to a beautiful 12 step program. I started going to a women's meeting because I had two kids in tow and I was welcomed with open arms by the beautiful women in AA and they loved me and my kids back to life. And I, I'm so, so grateful to that program that gave me and my children a chance for a real life. Mm. And then I did five years in recovery in Australia. I have to tell you, it's beautiful programs Mm. there. I met incredible people. But there was just something that wasn't quite right for me. I just didn't really feel authentic. And I I knew deep down that I needed to come back to England. And I also needed to get away from a lot of people that weren't healthy for me and my kids. Mm. Yeah. So I made the decision to come back to uh england in 2013 kids had been to england and to europe many times through my work and were keen keen to come um the relationship with their father had broken down and he was too far involved in the drink of the drugs to to um to what's the word responsibly parent my children and he didn't care that we left he was happy for us to go and we came back and I needed to keep them safe as well from stuff I don't want to talk about here. And I, I came back here, and I've done uh, 10 years in recovery here in Brighton. And when I first got here, I thought to myself, you know what? There's a pub on every corner. How do people get sober? But then I realised there was a yeah. meeting on every corner. We've yeah. got meetings for everything in Brighton. <laughs> I've out meetings i never even heard of before. I've got addictions I never even knew about. Yeah. So I live... <laughs> Well, I live in Recovery Central, and what oh the, the thing I haven't mentioned is when I was in Australia when I very first got sober, I met a beautiful crew called yeah, Soul I, Sydney. I just you went might there. know those I, ne- I went there on yeah. New Year's and, Day. Yep, yeah. yeah. So, so they said to me, I, we were all swapping music and talking about music, and I was telling them tunes to play and sharing my my musical experience with them. They were Annie, you t- need to DJ, and I went. I can't DJ. I'm an old bag with two kids. They're like, don't worry about that. You it's all about the music. You need to DJ and they help me and they encourage me. And that's where that wow. that's where it all started for me wow. fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's how it all started. And we used to do Um, I used to go out, but I was so terrified to go out because I was so triggered. I used to drag my kids everywhere. You ask them about the New Year (laughs) party on the roof. And I took the paddling pool up there (laughs) and set the paddling pool up. And all the kids are in the paddling pool. I'm like, this is a family party. You know what I mean? I was really fixated. I used to do the barbecue, anything to keep myself... I felt like I was keeping myself safe. It was a way for me to be around the people I loved and the music I loved and have something to do. Mm. Anyway... Coming back to England, I was offered a radio show before I even landed in England. I got on that radio show when I got here, and then HB from Soul to Soul. I just got lucky. He heard my show and he said, "Would you like to come and play at my party?" We well, love Soul, so I'm like, "Yeah, great." Who else is playing? Oh, you're warming up for Paul Trouble Anderson. <laughs> I'm like, "What?" <laughs> anyway, so I went and done the party. It was in Covent Garden. I was on really early, but I brought a crew with me, and there were these other lovely guys that were part of his, like, they were residents with him. And um, I, I got I got to know them. And H said, you did really well, and it was a great party. And then I never heard anything, and I thought, oh, that's the end of it. And then a couple of weeks later, no, no, a couple of months later, he called me up and he said, you want a year's residency as a warm-up? Wow. And I was like, yeah, I do want a year's residency. So I, it's a, I started this monthly residency at the beginning, residency at the beginning, like I was playing to myself, you know, and it was and I worked and worked and worked and eventually I was building the floor from zero to a hundred and Jazzy Q, who's hardly spoke to me in the beginning, but it's just the industry. I remember him saying to me, I think the second to last party, he said, You've done really well, well done. You know, and that meant the world to me because I really had to work hard. I started at the bottom, do you know what I mean? I never done this straight in with a big, big set. So I was a warm-up girl, and I'm really glad I was because mm. I learnt my trade the hard way with one of the toughest crowds in London, by the way, can I, can I tell you? Yeah. And that's yeah. how I learned, and that's how I got to know a lot of people in the industry. And it just went from there, really. But I have to say, for in order for me to walk in with all my social anxiety and be able to go from that frightened terrified daily mess of a drinker to be able to stand in front of the, one of the toughest crowds in London and DJ, I had to learn about expectations. I had to learn about the fact that other people's opinions are none of my business. And when I DJ, every time I DJ without fail, I'm not the biggest prayer, but I say to God, I hand myself over to God and I say, God, take the ego out and bring the creativity in. I say that every time. And that way, whatever I do is nothing to do with me; it's to do mm. it with my higher power. Yeah, and I think that that comes through in my oh, music.
2: Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I
0: and I yeah.
2: I, I just got goosebumps then. Now. Yeah, I got goosebumps. Oh, yeah. just, I so uh, relate to that so much, and do it changed. It changes everything then, because your performance and your connection. It's like you said. It's almost like it just fl- flows through you. It's not, yes. it, it, it's through you. It's it's not you almost, Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. What I say to my sponsors when they're struggling to connect with God, because we need a God, it, we need some kind of high power. I use the word God very flippantly because that's how I was brought up. I've told you that. But some yeah. people have got a problem with that. All it is you need to know is yeah. God is not you. You know yeah. what I mean? That's the yeah. problem where we think God's us yeah. when we're at it. God is, is a higher power <laughs> that is looking after you, whether it's the universe, whatever it is, you choose. But I say to my sponsees, if, you can't, if you're struggling to connect with God, what are you good at? Are you good at cooking? Are you good at painting? Are you good? They say, oh, well, I'm um, really good at like making clothes. I say, right, get that machine out and make some clothes. Creativity mm. is prayer mm. because it comes from something outside uh, of you. Yeah. right becomes, yeah. you come it's a skill and it's been given to you and that way when you're in that space with your with your skill
1: and uh, you're i've just finished yeah. well uh, just uh, before christmas dj fat tony's book i don't take requests about his journey through insane addiction in like beyond beyond human yeah. existence really um and then to 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 come out the other side in the way that he has done now after i'm um, I've stood behind the turntables a few times and I know how terrifying it is when you've got a room full of people out there that you you know are waiting for so some... and also you've also got that fear of like different people come for different types of music right there's you know you can be into mm. all the genres that you spoke about at the beginning are kind of a little bit lost on the kids of today if you know what I mean so I guess where where would yeah. you... I guess what I'm trying to say here is this we know that the drugs, the alcohol, you're in a place that sells alcohol. There's place, you know, everywhere, there's drugs everywhere, right? To be sober for as long as you are and to people that don't know you're Mm. sober, I'm sure you get offered stuff. I'm sure you get offered Mm. drinks. Do you know, do you want this? Do you want that? And I'm like, how people that don't know you, for instance, how, how do you, how Uh. do you go? Well, I mean, the temptation is right in front of you, isn't it? Like, uh,
0: Yeah, but it's not a temptation for me because, and I say this without any ego, because I've had to do a shitload of work, right, to accept without any caveat at all that I am absolutely incapable of drinking or taking drugs normally, whatever that may bloody mean. I I don't get that really, but anyway, yeah, all right, let's give you an example um, people that can pick up, open a bottle of wine, have one yeah, glass and then put it. the cork in it. Mm. that? Yeah. I like that. But even though I was in and out of recovery and something really dreadful had to happen to me to get me in, I'm grateful for my relapses because they taught me without a mm. shadow of a doubt yep. it don't work for me. And I can yeah. Yeah. what I can do is, I, and also the other thing is my connection with God and my my you know, what I do as a DJ, what I do as a mum, there's so many gifts that are just like flying at me. And I'm so lucky and blessed and so rich in, not in so much money, but in experience. I don't want to give that up. Mm. And the reality is in the end, I wasn't a social drinker. I didn't go out and drink with people. I've done it on my own with the doors locked. So that's where my attempt, it might, Real temptation is in here. Yeah. With the craziness that goes on. Somewhat I mean, on my birthday, I just turned 60. Happy birthday. And I had a big old 60th bash. Happy birthday. Thanks, you look amazing. <laughs> Thanks, <Dylan. laughs> Thanks, love. Give <Inside> some recovery. <laughs> One of my mates who I've known from the spectrum days, who knows me so well turned up with a bottle of bones <laughs> for my birthday. Oh. I mean, Yeah, people... <laughs> uh, You know, I the it to my daughter, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, it, so it's about... It's an inside job. It's about our mm. thinking. Mm. And you know what? My my sponsor in Australia said, wear it like a loose cloak, life. It's, it's happening around you. Mm. The trick mm. is not to let it in. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. people are people. And the... You know what? The industry, the promotions, promotion side of it is cutthroat over it. Like people will sell yeah. their granny mm-hmm. for a set. People will, you put a party on, you'll book someone to play at it. The next month they're doing a party mm-hmm. in your venue with the same people.
1: Yeah. But you
0: know what? You've, got, you've just got to be, you just got to be a step ahead. And you, People get pissed off and they're all at war. And I'm like, no, I'm an ideas person. I'm a creative person. People want to copy me. Let them copy me. I see it as a, as a, compliment i look at it i must have, have another idea mm-hmm. you yeah. do something else yeah that's how you've got to think you can't get into it yeah you can't get in the ring i don't i don't um i don't get into stuff on social media i see it all mm. i know when people are like trashing me or whatever but i let them because you know what what people i love love recovery for teaching me this what none people of think of me is absolutely none, none of my of business. business yeah yeah and yeah. it's not easy. I'm a human being, but I do it. Sometimes yeah. I have a big old resentment for 24 hours, but yeah. I work it. I work it, yeah. and then yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, oh, go on you go. Well, I just you go
0: out. Sorry,
2: I was just going to say, um, wow, <laughs> uh, your <laughs> your story is. Uh, so incredible on so many levels, and honestly, you should be so bloody proud of yourself.
1: Oh. Like
2: where, look at where you are, what you what you've achieved. Do you know what I mean? And you've you've you, all of that is you. That's the that's the blessing. I think that a lot of people have said in recovery, there's a lot of similarities. I think to uh, someone who's gone through that process and they reconnect to that higher power and they start to see that life throws so many new opportunities at you. And they're all magical and amazing, and you do not want to mm. give that up, you know. And no. like where you were, where you were, where you started, and where you are now, you know. And I still can't believe he's sixty; that's insane. You neither look amazing. I'm like, what is she doing? Because I want some of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know um, when you finally like made that decision and and to to go into recovery. Um, how, how
0: old were your kids at that point? They were tiny. So they were, um, t- two, three and four. Right, right. So that's Yeah, they really can't young. remember. Yeah. They can't remember. It. Yeah. I mean, that's a good,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. thing though. Because they'll uh, yeah. uh, probably only have ever known you sober then.
0: They have. I've got to tell you a story of my daughter's, um, on my 15th birthday, I've never mentioned it to my youngest daughter before, but my last drink was in the garden of my house, I um, I took a bottle out of... You know, in Australia, you've got those yeah. great big wheelie bins, yeah. those recycle bins. Yeah. It, you know, like the day you had camping, yeah. 34 yeah. degrees, mosquitoes. <laughs> One of them mornings, I uh, dressed for work, full face of makeup. you know, keeping it all right on the outside. I was putting stuff in the bin, and I saw a bottle of um, Evans & Tape. remember that, with a, a, a screw top in the bin, had some wine in it, and I took... The wine out of the bin, eight am. Opened the lid and drank it out of the bin in front of wow. my youngest daughter, and that's my last drink. And um, and I had this moment, another one, a bit like when I moved to Australia, where I could see myself how other people would see me, and not as, um, as I thought how glamorous my life was, new car, nice house, all that nonsense. And my little girl is looking in my eyes as I'm doing it. And I remember saying, who are you? I just Mm. didn't know who I was. And then I said, enough is enough. And that's when I got sober. And it took, you know, all those moments where I could have been dead or arrested or none of those things took me to the point. But my vanity, let's say, or my, I just couldn't be that person. Yeah. And I was just right. You've got to sort this out, love. You've got to sort Mm. this out. And that's when I went back. Yeah, because I was suicidal at that point. Yeah. But my little girl saw me. And then, yeah, on my 15th birthday, my sober birthday, I said, Sam, she was 18 now. I said, Sam, I've got to ask you, can you remember it? I told her about it. And then I said, can you remember it? And she said... Of course I couldn't, <laughs> Mum. I was free. And I was like, oh, Because okay. well, I've been thinking all these years, it was our first memory. And yeah. that was, like, I was so grateful. Yeah, so that was it. That was the grimness of it. Oh, yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's that's bonkers. And thank you for sharing that, you know. And I think, mm. you yeah, know, I this you. No, is, was primarily geared towards the airdressing, barbering and, and media world. And obviously we're a bunch of creatives, right? We are. That's we're. We, we're, yeah. we're out there you know so how many addresses do you know that want to be DJs at the same time you know He <laughs> said uh, yeah the thing is is that as I'm listening to you speak there's so many people that think that drugs make them creative there's so many times when they think right well I'm DJing I'm on drugs or if I'm, oh. if I'm cutting hair I'm, mm. I'm I'm having a drink and think <laughs> so I guess I'm getting at um if someone's listening to this and thinks, "Well, if I got, if I, if I, I'm, I'm yeah. a big partier, I go out, I DJ, and I take drugs and I drink. If I got to stop mm. that, I've got to yeah. stop doing what I've got doing." Mm. And you are a great example of being out there in the clubs. In you know, like, I saw a flyer yeah. for you with the, you know, you're part of the Queens of House Music, is that right? It's all, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it's like my Queens friends. of House Music, it's all women on the DJ lineup, mm-hmm. and 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 I saw that there was a boat party yeah. from two p.m. to two a.m. And I first, and I was like, yeah. whoa.
0: Oh, open house. Yeah. That's open house. Plug, plug. Yeah. Not so, yeah. so just tell me a yeah. bit about, I know we've kind yeah. of
1: touched on it, but for someone listening out there and thinking, right, how do I do this?
0: All right. Right. All right. So first of all, right, we're not yeah. doing it for us right? It's not about our ego. We're doing it for the people. We're entertainers. Drugs and alcohol makes you self-centred and selfish and arrogant, Mm. right? And if you're DJing when you're on drugs and alcohol, for me, I can't talk for anybody else, but for me, I never have done that. But if I did, I know I'd be doing it for me. And if I'm doing it for me, I'm not doing it for them. If you want to get connected Mm. to your audience in a really, really unego what's the word humble creative way mm. give it a try mm. because when you're clean and sober let me tell you that buzz that you get from playing your music for these people it's like a spiritual yes. experience yeah. it's like church right and if you're doing drink and drugs you might get a bit of that but it's going to be a dull, down experience just trust the drug of the moment in the club and give it a go. You'll shit yourself in the beginning. You'll be shaking, you'll be nervous, but then let your creativity, if you're good at it, if you are actually good at it, it will flow through and you will have the absolute moment of your life and you will be absolutely addicted to that and no drink or drug can I, rem- can touch I remember it. I remember reading that in
1: DJ Fat Tony's book. He said the amount of sets that he played where he couldn't remember being there and thinking that he was doing a great job and then hearing it back afterwards and it was a car crash, right? And he said the biggest Mm. high he's ever Mm. had is playing to a room full of people when he's completely sober and he feels every beat, every moment. Absolutely. And 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 that
2: is the crowd. You're
1: present, you're 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 being part of it. It's it's really commendable. I guess you, so yeah. you've never DJed it's... when you've been out of it because you've been sober for so long, right? Wow. Never. That's amazing. Never. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to
0: destroy what I've got because yeah. God gave it to me. So if, I, if I'm if i blocking my higher power out and I'm doing it on my own, what, what's that about? Also, the other thing with me, I play soulful music. I can't help it. I'm really drawn to soulful music and that – puts me in a niche with certain crowds. So I, I do play to some kids, but not many. It's more of an older crowd. But what that does is I play a lot of Gospel House. And, you know, just lately I've even more connected with those big spiritual tunes, with those big black voices, you know, people like mm. Bible Tucker... You know, mm. I've got a lot of female artists that I work for Love with it. the Queen's House Music Brand. We're unique in that we have a lot of female artists as well. A lot of the DJs, the producers, they don't put their artists on yeah. with them. I mean, one mm. of my artists that worked with us at the weekend, we did a big Palestine uh, medical aid fundraiser. And one of my artists sang a, a track that was the big, it was number one in track songs for eight weeks. She's never performed mm. it live. Wow. No. As she performed it live for the first time on Sunday, like wow. it's nuts. So we support the artists, and so we have always have singers, you know. So we work with these big soulful voices, which you know start in church. Mm. So it is very, it's very, very God connected what we do on that floor. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know. I played a track. Um, Played a track at the weekend. I forget the artist, but it was a Kenny Carpenter mix of, um, it's the Lord is my shepherd is in the words. And it's it's literally that prayer. And uh, I played that and they just went off. People oh, love it.
2: You I know, to, it makes me want to I really want yeah. to go.
0: I love it. Absolutely. I've, had a, I've had a brain, I've had a brain I think on the track. It's called a brain fart. I, yeah. I have them all the time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's
0: menopause, is what it is. Yeah. And damage. Drug damage and menopause. Yeah. But anyway, it went off. So wow, yeah. that is so yeah. amazing. Do you know what? do you
2: know what I absolutely love about that part of your story is the fact that you know, because you've opened yourself up to like, you know, as you said, whether people want to call it God or higher power or whatever it is that it's everyone's choice. Right. Um, when you allow that to flow through you, you attract those people and those situations, but not just that you're able to impact people in your way. So there'll be people on that dance floor singing, singing those words Almost, mm. It's almost like worship in a way, you know what I mean? Because they're singing, is. they're feeling that vibe. Absolutely. But yeah. you, so you're actually delivering amazing messages discreetly that, to people that might need to hear that message. Does that makes you know where yeah. I'm going with that? That like, I absolutely, they, they might not yeah, ever I, step in a church and get on their knees and pray, but actually, you're you're giving them something through yeah. music. The, and that creativity is
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Creativity's prayer. Yeah, that's the thing with with the gospel house. I mean,
1: it is. I mean, I remember going when I lived in America, going to the gospel brunch at the House of Blues, and it was on a Sunday morning where you would do the whole thing, and it was amazing. And you just and when you talk about prayer and gospel prayer and the gospel house, Mm. I mean, it is an amazing setup. Um, You know, when you when you started talking, Anna, I would just let you run because your story. I was just captivated by your story, but I've written some notes here and. You know, when you talked about some of the clubs back in the day, I remember, and it really triggered something for me. And I thought, you know, how the music is, music is breaks down barriers, right? It really does break down barriers. And I remember Norman Jay Mm. telling a story about when he opened up the club Bass Clef, um, which I think was in, was it in Hoxton? I can't remember where it was now. Some, some, yeah, yeah it it's a, in Hoxton. French yeah, club. it was. And it was really Zealand, revolutionary at the time. And it was in, a, obviously, Hoxton was not like it is now, very trendy. It was a very rough area, you know. Yeah, used to live there. And he's, <laughs> yeah. But he was talking. Talk, central. Well, that's right. And he talks <laughs> openly about the bouncers on the you, know, the, you know, the black community were never allowed in the clubs. And, and he had a meeting with all the gang members. And he's like, here's the deal you can come in and you can listen to this music but there's no trouble and there's no soldiers right and there's no you know this is this is a place where everyone can enjoy the music and at the time it was like anybody mm. who was in london it was like Sade was in town or whatever there were some of the most famous actors would get taken down to bass clef and be mingling with all different types of people because they were there where they were there for the mm. music and you know that feel, and again or say it as we say on every episode, it's that connection. You've found connection to something, right? Whether you find connection through the music, Mm. which is obviously where the drugs came in. You know, for me in the 90s, when I remember when I Mm. took that first ecstasy tablet, I was like, I thought all of a sudden my Christmases had come at once. And so and little did I know Mm -hmm. how much it was going to grab hold of me. But music is amazing. And uh, it's amazing to see what you're doing. And uh, and, um, Mm. congratulations.
2: Yeah. And... yeah and I think you know your 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 story is going to definitely resonate with so many people that are going to listen to this I think you know our age group and you know even though I was you know not quite as old <laughs> as you Clive but I'm not far behind you'll get there <laughs> <laughs> you know that scene was still there you know what I mean and and it's what we get exposed to especially when you're already kind of creative I mean I got diagnosed with ADHD two years ago and that kind of really answered a lot for me I think there's so many people that are creative that are possibly also ADHD but if you've got ADHD you're more prone to addiction da because you're always looking for yep. the dopamine hit. you know so, um, you know, a lot of people that have uh, been on the podcast have, uh, experienced that as well, but what I would love to know, and I guess our audience are probably going to want to know as well is making that change is not easy. You know, we all know that you come to that point mm-hmm. and, and, and the surrender part, but continuing in that, in that, down that path is, is hard. It takes work. It's not easy. It's not like you suddenly go, Okay, I'm going to be sober now, give everything up. You do need a tool belt. I remember Clive saying that to me so many times. Amy, you need a tool belt, right? So when times get tough or things come along, you've got something that you can tap into, whether it's people, whether it's an activity like meditation or music or whatever it is. So what's in your tool belt? What do you use, and what have you used on on your journey that's kind of kept you in the place you're
0: at? Okay, so um obviously, as I mentioned, when I came in for the far, after eight years of playing around with it and doing it my way, when I came into a program of recovery, I came in with zero other options because the ones I described to you were well, they're all not not going to happen. yeah, so um i I've always struggled with this because, People in recovery tell you, you don't get sober for your mm. kids, you get sober for yourself. And if you come in for other people, it's not going to work. But the reality is, from what I've told you, I did come in for my kids. But someone said it in one of my meetings the other day, really perfectly. Someone quite new actually. 15 years I've been waiting to hear this. I came in for my kids and I stayed mm. for myself. Mm-hmm. And what I came in with, what I came in with, which is at the time felt like the end of the world, and it nearly was was the gift of desperation Mm. because I I was out of options and my history helps me stay sober because I look back at, I run the Mm. tape forward as we say, on what happened when I did have one drink or one drug and I also know that drugs, with the drugs, the alcohol was the mothership but the drugs lead me to a drink. The minute I pick up a drink, reason everything's out of the window, my connection with God's gone and I'm going to drink. So it's non-negotiable for me, can't do any of it. And my history helps me, but also what I think more than anything is the acceptance that I am not different to other people in that area. And I also believe I'm exactly the same as them in every, every other area. I don't see myself as some victim of a disease. I'm just someone that cannot pick up a drink, or pick up a drug. And the other really important thing I have to do is I have to be honest in every area of my life. And if when I'm dishonest, that's when the problems come in. So if I can stay really honest and make decisions that are sometimes really difficult around people around me, I, I have to learn to be really boundary about saying no. It doesn't have to be an argument. The other thing I do as well, I, I've got this bit of advice really early on. I vote with my feet. So if I'm in an environment or around people that I don't particularly like or I feel uncomfortable, mm. I'm gone. Mm. So you won't really hear me saying anything too nasty about other people, but you'll know wow. I just won't be there. Yeah. and I <laughs> yeah. Learn I'm just gone. Yeah. So that's how I keep, I keep myself safe in many ways. And another thing we discussed earlier about the vote party now, I don't recommend anybody in early sobriety going on a boat party mm. because one of the things I was taught early, we always need an escape route. Yeah. If things are triggering you or you're not feeling comfortable... You need to be gone. I remember when I lived in Australia in my first five years, imagine the amount of boat mm. parties I turned down. Mm. I remember Joey Negro being on the boat. All my mates are going, come on, you're okay. You've been sober three oh, yeah. years. I'm like, no. Nah. Can't get off. Yeah, Because I can't get off. They went, boat taxi, boat Do you know taxi. Know what? Yeah. A lot of people in <laughs> Australia <laughs> that get sober, <laughs> they take an
1: ocean swimming. That might be me. I just jump off and swim to the shore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So it's keeping yourself safe. It's being completely honest. It's accepting on a really deep level that you can't drink and drug like other people. And it's having that, unfortunately having that desperation and that history of it not working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. amazing. I've got, I learned something early on in my recovery It's very similar to what you just said. And that is that I came in for my drinking and I stay Mm. for my thinking because my brain is bonkers. Mm. Right, I got to keep going Mm. to my meetings because I uh, by myself can talk myself into, you know, there was Mm -hmm. on the guy we interviewed Jason from LA last week said something. And in the middle of the interview, I never picked up on it until I listened to it back again. And it, it, it's, one of those light bulb moments for me. He said, when you surrender, he goes, when you put your hands up and you surrender, think of it in like military terms. If like two people at war. When you surrender, you go across to the winning side. And I was like, whoa, that's really good. So you, he goes, so if you're out there and you want to surrender, come across to the winning side. It's great over here. And I was like, yeah, fuck, that's a yeah. good saying. That's a uh, that's a good saying. I love so, that. Yeah. Anna, yeah. is there yeah. anything you want to finish up on before um we we sort of wind this up? But you've been amazing.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. you. Really so are. I am gonna say I was thinking about you you know, how I stay sober and, and I was thinking I always say these these three things that are really, really important to my recovery. Um, one is honesty. We've discussed that. Mm-hmm. Another one is humility. We've also discussed that. The third one is humour. Now, yeah. we can't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And when you talked about those drinking, when I get that thought, because I'm human, and I'm an addict, so I get them. I mm. do get them. But I'll get that, Oh, you know, you could just have a little bottle of champagne, you know, yeah. that fleeting thought. And I just stand back and I just go, oh, please. I just laugh at myself. I'm like, really? (laughs) You really think that's a good idea? And I laugh at myself. And we laugh a lot in recovery. You know, it's not all serious. We have a lot of fun. Mm. I remember when I got sober, uh, I think not this time, but before one of my many attempts. And I remember saying to my mates, I don't know if I want to get sober, you know, because I won't be fun anymore. And they were like, you haven't been fun for years.
2: <laughs> you were like, great, thanks for that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but it was true. Yeah, And now I'm a lot more fun sober than I ever was drinking, believe me. It's because yeah. I can laugh at myself. Yeah. And we all do. And you've got to take it. It can be light and fluffy too. It doesn't have to be serious.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and that is one of the biggest questions that a lot of people ask, right, is... They think, how am I going to have fun? How's my life going to be? My life's going to be boring and dull and this. But actually, I think, to be honest, uh, and Clive, you'll say the same, and definitely you said it in your story as well, that the magic, the most magical parts of life come after when you're sober. It's okay. Like It's next yeah. level, the stuff that can mm-hmm. happen when you allow it. You're surrendered and you've got all this new time and space and energy and all these yeah. amazing
0: things come along. It's Anna is, yeah, yeah, it's awesome.
2: And, and
0: you and you and you become your authentic yeah. self. Yeah, and that can take time, but being real. And yeah. the person That you're meant to be Yeah I mean that's That's the biggest success in life Money and material things Are all nice Yeah But knowing that you can Look at yourself in the mirror And be alright with yourself Yeah There's nothing more There's nothing Anna yet. you've
1: been amazing
2: Anna Thank you so much Honestly It's been an absolute pleasure um, I am literally Going to be getting online now And I'm going to be Googling All of that music That you are playing And talking about Because that's Honestly, totally yeah,
1: Anna, my street it's, 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 People want to listen to you. Where's the best place for them to listen to your sets?
0: Oh, you know what? I'm a bit naughty now. I was doing a lot of a weekly radio show, but I'm not doing that anymore. But I've got massive back catalogue on Mixcloud and yeah, a C and... with just a C. Okay. If you put that in... It's yeah, all Yeah, comes up. Yeah. It's I know, that, yeah. I know yeah. We've got a large
1: yeah. audience, especially in California, um, that listen to us every week. And if you've been listening to this and when you, Annie was talking about Goldmine and Shroom and all those places and you're working out where well, they are, they were names of clubs mm-hmm. in London that were very, very popular at the time. Yeah. And we'll just put that in as a little bit of there. What's he talking about? A gold yeah. mine? Anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> anyway Anna, <laughs> yeah. it's been thank fabulous you it. thank
1: you so much for coming on amy thank you so much for being another host and producer editor social media director hr all the different things <laughs> and <Anna, laughs> it's um it's been amazing and uh next time if we get back to england we'll be in touch and we'll we'll come on the boat party and we'll Aww, we'll have a little bit of.
0: <laughs> all right yeah. awesome thank
1: you so much enjoy your day Absolutely. it's been amazing thank you so much you've been listening to straight edge the podcast and we love that you've been listening to this episode and we're always looking for future guests to join us on the podcast so if you or anyone out for your friends or family have been through similar struggles with any form of addiction or recovery we'd love to hear from you just drop us a message on our instagram page straight edge the podcast And we'll get right back in touch with you to have a chat. And talking of social media, if you've enjoyed this or any other of our episodes from season one or two, we kindly ask for you to please help us share the love by sharing our posts and reels with your own network of friends. And lastly, but most importantly, if you could please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us improve our podcast visibility and hopefully attract more listeners from around the world. But most of all, it will attract some more exciting guests that I'm sure you, our audience, would love to hear from. So I'll finish with a big thank you from all of us here, Amy, Lou, and myself, Clive, at Straight Edge, the podcast. And please, stay safe and God bless.